Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Friday, January 28th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? little off guard you jumped into that mid sip for me uh happy friday though buddy how's yours going oh so much better now that i am on the pod with you almost no place i'd rather be than here with you but i did get ghosted on tinder for a date so it might be lying a little but second second place in the world i most want to be right now here uh, with you buddy hey i'll take it i'll take it that's that that's a pretty pretty great spot to be i'll never complain about being second on anyone's list that is such a healthy step forward from the ridiculous hyper toxic competitive nature we both <laughs> shared growing up i wish i could join you there yeah well it will it just you keep getting hit by life and you'll get there. There you go. Yeah. Okay. On, on that wonderful note, we'll kick off the pod. Uh, lots to talk about. We are in full swing of everything. We got an absolute buffet. That was kind of the term we threw around last year around this time. Uh, but we're going to talk tennis, soccer, football, combat, basketball, hockey, and then a sprinkle of baseball to finish things up. We're really going across the smorgasbord. Um, So really looking forward to this one. And I think with all the things we have to cover, we're going to really have to jump in. Not a lot of banter to start the show today. So Max, uh, you want to kick us off with a little tennis talk? Yeah, pitter-patter. We start where we left off last time, heading into the quarterfinals of the Australian Grand Slam. A lot of optimistic heading in there for the Canadians, which I may or may not have jinxed um, multiple times with my noted dark horse, Rafael Nadal, taking out Denis Shapovalov in heartbreaking fashion, taking the first two sets. Denis rallied his back, ties it 2-2, and then drops the fifth one. Um, no tiebreak or anything in that one. On the bottom half of the draw, Felix Ojeda-Alassim, going up two sets to love against Daniel Medvedev, highest seed in the tournament, winner of the U.S. Open, the previous hard or hard court Grand Slam and finalist at last year's Australian Open. Definitely the tournament favorite. Felix up two sets to love, drops it. Very reminiscent of, I think, his fourth round performance last Australian Open against Aslan Karatsev, where the exact same thing happened. So really tough break for the Canadians, but honestly, seeing them make it to the fourth round consistently of Grand Slams and put up five set amazing performances uh, full of fight and spunk against top five players in the world is not something I've gotten tired of them yet. It seems like our Canadian boys have all the consistency at Grand Slams, but none of the endurance, where the Canadian women's have the endurance to hit that finals once, and then not so much on the consistency so far. I was wondering, though, would you rather lose in the fashion Dennis did, or did Felix did? Down to love, you tie it 4-4 and then drop the fifth or up to love and you drop three straight? Definitely the former because I'm one of those people if if like 
I start to lose, it it really digs at me, and I want to I want to almost like flip the switch, turn it on, and re can regain control. So losing in a fashion like that, I mean, as a Leafs fan, we're well accustomed to that sort of pain, but it's something that I, as an athlete, never want to experience. It's it is maybe the worst way you can lose is when you're that close and and it gets ripped away from you. Yeah, you've got to think the fifth set a lot more heartbreaking for dentists to battle back get to that point have the chance to win it in the fifth and drop it whereas by the fifth i imagine felix mentally at least pretty defeated already so maybe able to accept that fifth set loss a bit easier in the moment but going to sleep at night i think it's easier to be proud of battling back down to nothing than uh, giving yourself that lead at the first place. But for clarification, I'm incredibly proud of both our boys for taking two sets off Rafael Nadal and Daniel Medvedev, who then rolled their way to the finals. No matches tougher than those two for them on their way to the finals. Um, and it sets up a fantastic matchup. Uh, the history between these two players and the places they're at, the era swing of tennis that we're ever more inching towards. But Nadal and Djokovic just seem to be holding off. So many narratives make this so fun. Let's start with the individuals. They've played four times, all four times on hard court. Nadal has won three of those four matchups, the first time being Medvedev's first ever Grand Slam finals appearance, which was the U.S. Open in 2019. Rafa took the next two, including the 2019 ATP NITO finals. Then Medvedev the following year at the 2020 NITO ATP finals beat Rafa for the last time they've played. And since then, in Grand Slam level tennis, he's achieved better results. So that 2020 Nito finals was just after a semis appearance for Medvedev. Uh, following that, he had his next finals Grand Slam appearance at the Australian Open, where he lost to Djokovic. And then he had his first Grand Slam finals win this past fall at the US Open, beating Djokovic. Now, Better results than Rafa, hard to say he definitively played better because Rafa missed two of those tournaments. Um, the one Australian Open in 2021, uh, Rafa lost to Tsitsipas in a brutal five-setter and Medvedev took out Tsitsipas the next day, probably in part thanks to that grueling battle uh, Nadal put on Tsitsipas. But you have to say Matt Daniel paid, played better at that draw. Um, and has been playing the higher level hardcore Grand Slam tennis as of late. For that reason, and mostly because he took out Djokovic, I take him, I pick him to beat Rafa. But we can't get out of this pod segment without acknowledging the fact that Nadal is definitely now the favorite to win at the French Open if his health holds up and he starts in that tournament. And um, second, acknowledge that because of that fact, it looks like he could very well have 22 Grand Slam victories um, before the year 2022 ends, which would put him in first all-time a historic record and uh, give Novak a bit more work 
in catching up, which I do believe the Serb is capable of even without uh, access to Australia for three years. But superimposed over all of this is just the era of ATP tennis we're in. Uh, I was saying to you, I think last week, maybe this is the year where we look back at that US Open that saw Medvedev beat Djokovic and we say that was the turning point. That was when the era of the big three ended and we stepped into the next generation, the new phase of ATP tennis. Or maybe at the end of 2022, we'll be looking back at the Grand Slams one and they'll all belong to either Mr. Nadal or Mr. Djokovic. And that 2020 US Open, just a blip, kind of like Dominic Thiem's one the year before and the dynasty will continue that very very much on the line um because nadal has been pretty forth and frank about his status with his injury he does not take this for granted he did not expect to reach the finals here just being able to play tennis at the highest level is a blessing and a gift for him and he doesn't know how long it will continue for he typically does play in a few of the clay 1000 atp masters so he's going to put a lot more wear and tear on the body between now and the french so a situation where Medvedev beats him here, he injures himself during one of the ATP 1000 events, doesn't compete in the French, and um, the new generation has a chance to continue. Medvedev has not really played well at the French yet. Tsitsipas and Zverev, more the young ones looking to break out with their first Grand Slam win. Um, better starter candidates. But yeah, it's going to be a wonderful Grand Slam finals. Um, I one of the best matchups you could get out of this draw. And I'm really looking forward to it. Quickly on the women's side, uh, the draw also set for the finals. I think that happening tonight. Ash Barty has not yet dropped a set, the number one seed in the WTA tour playing at her level. It's kind of insane though. I was taking a look at the draw every time she's been supposed to play like a high level opponent, that opponent's been upset. Like, it's pretty ridiculous. So in the third round, Barty takes out the 30th ranked player, no sweat. But Naomi Osaka, set to face her in the fourth, gets upset by the unranked Anisimova. Barty takes her out 6-4, 6-3. The next round, Barty should have played Maria Sakari, the Greek number fifth seeded lady in the world. Uh, Jay Pegula, the 21st seed, takes her out, and then Barty sweeps with her, 6-2 and 6-0. After that, she could have played the fourth seeded, uh, I think that's a Czech flag, Krechikova. But then the unseeded Madison Keys takes her out, and Ash Barty takes it 6-1, 6-3. And sure enough, as the bottom half of the draw was concluded, the uh, Polish Swiatek, number seventh seed in the world was there but the 27th seeded american collins takes her out this all trending or this last result trending very similarly to the rest of the draw for ash Barty, and she has a pretty good chance of taking the australian open her home country's grand slam without dropping a single set uh too good oh yeah too good really really impressive stuff from her and we'll stay all on top of all the Australian Open action as it wraps up this weekend. And 
what that sets up for an awesome year in 2022 of uh, the tennis season. Yeah, looking forward to next pod, wrap up the finals matches, and then maybe one more pod after that with the autopsy of the Australian Open. Uh, until next time, though, for now, some football, or yes, a lot sir. of football, I should say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big, big football stuff. We're in a start in the football fan cave with some soccer. Um, I will say this, each pod, that it happens, but each game as we go is the biggest uh, in Canadian soccer history since 1985. And this continues the trend. Um, the first win in Honduras since 1985, the Canadian men's national team goes in there, a 2 nothing win, uh, some unbelievable saves from Mil- Milan Borjan, uh, and fantastic counterattack goal by Jonathan David. A little bit of luck for Tejan Buchanan allows them to take a lead early in the game. But this team, man, they've got some sort of vibe where no matter what's thrown at them, they just continue to persevere through it. No Alfonso Davies for this round of qualifying games due to his uh, current condition. And this team went into a Honduras stadium where they haven't had much success. Obviously, you know you're going to get all the things that come with traveling in CONCACAF qualifying, and they had to work through that. And then during the game, a really physical and reckless Honduras side um, going in without fear of consequence and, and not a lot to lose. And Canada managed to maintain their composure, uh, work through a couple of possible injuries on a field that the turf quality was brutal it was really like playing on a carpet almost where guys sliding everywhere. Surprised we didn't see any ACLs go, uh, but, but a couple of injuries missed there and they come out of it with the three points and Panama losing to Costa Rica really sets them up in good shape. Uh, Jamaica almost beat Mexico too with only 10 men, but the Mexicans scored too late to, to get the victory in that one. But Canada still at top of the table with five games left to go in qualifying and a four point cushion on that fourth spot. So obviously the top three teams automatically qualify. The fourth spot would play against a qualifier in the uh, Oceania division. So they're in a really good spot to at least give themselves a chance. And it's all going to continue to come down to Sunday's game in Hamilton against the United States. Cannot wait for that clash coming up very shortly. Okay. Let's talk NFL. Um, two massive, massive games. Our, our championship weekend in the NFL. Let's start in the AFC and Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, this will be the second matchup of the season between the Bengals and the Chiefs. And the first thing you want to say about this game, just like the Bills game, uh, Max, I, I only caught the very end and then had to go back and watch the highlights of a ridiculous last two minutes between the bills and the chiefs. I don't know if you caught up on that, but um, I think 24 points scored in like three and a half minutes total in that game. And just madness look for a lot of the same in this upcoming championship game, because the Bengals are a team that match up well against this Kansas city defense. We saw that in week 17 when Kansas city just did not have the personnel to stop the trio of chase Higgins and Boyd. But then on the other side, no one can stop the chiefs at this point. They are really, really rolling. And 
a lot of the analysis that I've seen done is that the Chiefs will take the lead and the Bengals are just going to have to throw on every down in order to keep up. So, of course, loving the over on Burrow pass attempts and just the over in the game in general. I will lean towards the Chiefs here just because the Bengals, however remarkable their run has been, uh, you got to take into account that they have beat Derek Carr in the Las Vegas Raiders and then Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. Uh, obviously a one seed that you go in and beat, but just this Kansas City team is a different breed. I think the Bengals have the foundation in place to be able to compete with this team down the road. Uh, but for now, Kansas City stays on top and goes to their third straight Super Bowl. Like they played teams who perform worse than um, average, say, at playoff time. And Kansas is going to be the first team that plays better. Yes, or just like if you compare uh, the quarterbacks, like a lot of the playoffs comes down to quarterbacks and Patrick Mahomes is so out of this world compared to the two that they have played in the last two Mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah. All right, NFC, the third matchup of the season between the Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. Most notably, back in week 18, the Rams, up 21 to nothing, had the possibility to actually eliminate San Francisco from even making the playoffs in the last week of the season. San Francisco comes back, wins in overtime, qualifies for the playoffs, and then they go and beat Dallas, and then they go and beat Green Bay. And now we set up this showdown in the NFC championship game between Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, two young uh, genius coaches that know each other very, very well. They've been on the same staff. They've gone up against each other many times. And most of the time Shanahan has come out on top. They know everything there is to know about each other in terms of offense, defense schemes, uh, tendencies. So I really I'm leaning towards the under in this game. It's not a fun side to be on, but it seems like a realistic side to be on. Both of these teams love to control the clock with the run game and time of possession. And each team knows each other's playbook in and out. So there's not going to be a ton that they haven't seen before. So I lean towards the defenses having a pretty big impact on this game. The thing that the Rams will have over Dallas and Green Bay is that they will be able to get that run game going just a little bit better than those two teams. Um, Cam Akers, not a great game last week, but the Rams are at their best when they're operating in that zone running game and then play actioning it. And Matthew Stafford with maybe the most clutch throw of, of last weekend He looks good. He's ready to finally make his first Super Bowl appearance. Uh, And I think that it's very possible that the Rams are able to do it. I think the key in this game really comes down to Jimmy G got away with a lot of the mistakes he made last week. Will he be able to again? Because Donald, Miller, and Floyd are coming for him. And the Packers were able to pressure him early. But with the run game of San Francisco, they were able to hold them off down the stretch. If these guys are able to get to the quarterback, Jimmy is going to throw the ball away and the Rams are going to be able to generate a turnover or two. I see it happening. I think the Rams are going to be able to pull this one out and go back to the Super Bowl for the second time in in five years, I think it is now. (laughs) All right. So that's that's our, our football fan cave preview. Looking forward for both of those games, all three of those games on, on Sunday. Um, a lot of sports to take in on Sunday, but never a bad thing. Never a bad thing, especially with it's supposed to be very, very cold this weekend uh, in, in Canada. 
I've lost track. It's been a pretty consistent uh, minus 20 something feels like minus 30 when I wake up to go to work. Like it actually just hasn't phased me. It's okay. Two layers of pants, warmest socks and uh, face mask is going to be completely on the entire time I'm outside. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. All right. Max combat corner. Yes, sir. Uh, last time we ended, I had a couple question marks on Francis Ngannou's contract situation, what they would be saying in the media. Typically, Monday is a big day for post-fighter interviews, and that rolls through the week after a big fight, as it did here. So just reporting on the bit of, of chatter that have come out, um, Ngannou's made it quite clear that he is dissatisfied with UFC's treatment of his in contract. Uh, a trend that Jorge Masvidal identified a couple of years ago, I remember at a press conference about how the UFC always, when you have three to four fights left on your contract, are like throwing these pitches at you um, to extend you another six, seven fights. And if you want to raise in your value as a fighter, or you want your contract to reflect the raise in your value as a fighter, they make you sign on for the long-term. Ngannou uh, said he basically left out, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was two or seven. I, two sounds more reasonable, but it might have been seven. Either way, seven figures. Uh, he's left on the table his last couple fights, refusing to sign these extensions and um, confirmed he's going to be getting surgery for injury. Dana White, um, kind of lukewarm in his interviews after the fight, saying, no, no, I wasn't. It wasn't that I wasn't um, didn't want to put the belt on Francis. I just had urgent business. I had to take care of it. Happened once like 15 years ago. Um, and he's kind of towing the same or throwing out the same lines like he always does. If he wants to fight, we'll let him fight. This situation incredibly different because it's never happened with a champion before. It seems like with basically Ngannou's contract is good or holds him in the UFC for a year through the champion's clause. And then he's free. Uh, getting injury, he or surgery i wrote injury in my notes and i keep saying that instead of surgery but with the surgery he can't be expected to fight until late next year anyway so while that process is going to be going on he can rake in his sponsorship money uh the ufc i think is going to lob offers at him try and give him a john jones fight the stipe trilogy maybe curtis blades if he wins and fight early in the spring summer and uh just try and lowball him into accepting something like maybe 10 million to fight john jones if they can work that up um and he's in a position to just decline continuously which is kind of hopefully what he does but at some point you've got to think the ufc will cut their losses and um nix him as a champion before that comes to control the narrative and all that um, continuing with the trend of disgusting ufc behavior i want to try and set up a bit for next time something else that caught my eye uh, tony ferguson versus michael chandler a fight being scheduled ferguson on a really bad losing streak against top top fighters who have 
just been making showing that he has no business being at the top of the lightweight division right now. Michael Chandler very much in that crop of fighters who have been frankly embarrassing him. So it's a very strange fight to make from a competitive matchmaking perspective. Um, what does make sense to me though is that this isn't the first time I've seen that trend of a washed out former top fighter who just gets continuously fed to the dogs um, because I've seen it with Tyron Woodley, uh, Junior Dos Santos, and Alistair Overeem. And three things or two things those three fighters have in common. They are no longer in the UFC and they were on incredibly lucrative contracts as one part-time or one-time UFC champions. Uh, Tony Ferguson also on a relatively lucrative UFC contract still with them or still with the UFC for now but it really seems to me like they're just trying to feed him to the dogs and then cut him saying he's lost too many fights in a row as a way of getting out of paying that contract I want to do more on this in another bit but hopefully setting that up for next time till then for combat corner oh we've just got to keep uh checking boxes off we're on to basketball yes sir maple jordan andrew wiggins is an all-star starter for the western oh. conference i don't care about the all-star game <laughs> and for i the- was floored when i saw that on twitter <laughs> um yeah. a lot less surprising when you look at the breakdown of votes but still very shocking that he gets in over a Devin Booker, a Luka Doncic, a Chris Paul, a Rudy Gobert, a Draymond Green. Have you heard the Korea angle? Yes. So that is, I'm, I'm getting to the breakdown okay. here now. Um, fifth in player voting. So right off the top, that puts him in the conversation. Really interesting that players actually backed up the vote and and he was put in a position where he is one of the top five guys in the western conference in the front court um that's a little impressive to me that the players are willing to vote that way sixth in media voting which again seems a little high but like he's right there with everyone else and then third in fan voting and that's the big one where there are a lot of stars in this league and he gets in because he gets that golden state bump with Draymond injured, the fans kind of turn their attention to him and, and boost him up. And then, of course, the K-pop angle. Uh, fans from Korea flooding in to boost him into that third spot. And, and yeah, Andrew Wiggins is an all-star starter. I'm looking forward to K-pop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, I mean, so, so happy for him. That's an awesome mm-hmm. moment, especially with the under performance or under deliverance of the expectations not only did the league put on him but the country of canada placed on him as this first overall pick uh that wasn't anthony bennett (laughs) that could really turn the tide and set a great future of canadian basketball we have so many other great players now but he was kind of the first of this new era of guys to really bring the game forward and struggled in Minnesota and became one of those guys known for putting up stats and not winning, but he's really gone to golden state and transformed himself into a, a great defensive 
two-way player where he can still get you 18 and 19 points a game and do all of the little things on the court that that has helped Golden State propel itself to one of the top three seeds in the Western Conference. Like I said, I don't care about the All-Star game and fan voting and all that so, a huge part-wise. So it's so, really silly, and I just want to get to the <laughs> league T. Well, so let me pitch you um, a fun new thing that the NBA has implemented in All-Star Weekend. I, I, I like to see leagues experimenting with stuff because it the All-Star game is where you can really answer a lot of those like almost backyard questions where you'd never be able to debate it in a game setting, but you can have, like you could do a game of horse or you could have a one-on-one tournament or you could have these situations where like, who's the best shooter? Who's the best dunker, right? It, it, that is the playground where the all-star game can make those questions answered. Uh, and one of the fun things that I would urge you to tune into this weekend, if not the actual all-star game itself, I agree it is it is boring, um, is the new Clorox Rising Stars Challenge. They've done something pretty interesting with the way they've approached it this year. Um, Kind of like the way the NHL has gone to a three-on-three format with different divisions. The Rising Stars Challenge is going to consist of 28 players, 12 from the NBA, or sorry, 12 freshman players, 12 sophomore players, and then four G League Ignite players. And so those are like four kids, essentially who are on that NBA G League Ignite team. They haven't been drafted yet, but they get to join this Rising Stars pool. There'll be one on each team, and then the remaining pool is drafted into four teams, and they'll play semis to 50, and then a final to 25. And so really interesting stuff there. You're going to see guys trying because they're young and don't know any better, and it's not a time score it is to a certain score so they are going to work their butts off and play defense so i think it'll be entertaining in that regard and then during the uh or in between these games they are going to have a shooting competition called the clutch challenge where you'll have a mixture of nba and g league players uh where they will shoot be shooting iconic nba shots uh and and that part is a little bit less exciting but yeah. i do like i do like the draft of the nba rising stars challenge because we like to throw our takes out there about young players and this is an opportunity to see some young guys go up against each other like scotty barnes and evan mobley on the same court going at it i will always watch that yeah i still just want to get to the league t <laughs> all right we're moving on to the league t um toronto raptors Big win over the Hornets uh, and the Wizards this last week, but they did blow it against Portland, um, and and they do blow it against Chicago the other day. So staying 500, but at least beating the teams in their atmosphere. Uh, and the Wizards losing after leading 35 points to the Los Angeles Clippers is, is never a bad thing as well. <laughs> I actually just happened to check the NBA scores at that time see the Wizards up so much and then check a few an hour or so later and I thought I'd misread that first score when I looked earlier till I saw your note back in here. Luke Kennard with the four-point play to end things there. Yeah a tough one a tough one we've been on the fun side of that and you were there so unique perspective there. Um, Let's continue 
LeBron yeah, James. Still good, but not good enough league T yet. Yes. We're, we're getting there. LeBron James. So he's actually 104 points away from tying Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points scored ever in the NBA. Now, that's not the regular season record that everyone holds. It's total points in regular season and playoffs. So around 41,000 total. So he's very close there, and it'll probably be two more seasons maybe. And if he continues to play like this, one more season until he passes Kareem's regular season record, which is like staggering, staggering numbers. Um, he is currently second in the league in scoring at 29 points per game, the highest he has scored since uh, the 09-10 season, I believe. So ridiculous stuff from LeBron and single-handedly carrying this Lakers team out of the depths of the lottery uh, right now. I saw like headline of a reporter asking him at any point do you consider like holding back out of wear and tear concerns and longevity playoff and his answer was something like man I'm playing some of the best offense I've ever played in my career why would I hold back yeah like it's it's not just ridiculously good for a 37 year old it's ridiculously good over the entire trajectory at any point of LeBron's career yeah, it, and he says the game's coming to him so fluidly right now, so why would you get in in and break up that zone that he's in? Which is fascinating, but still not good enough league tee, bud. <laughs> Let's get to our first item. So obviously the Lakers in tough here. Anthony Davis and LeBron not playing tonight um, in their game, I think, against the Hornets. But the, the third amigo here is is really the the key talking point that we discussed for most of this season couple people remaining who still think the westbrook experiment can work but there are not many left remaining on that front and so the rumor mill began westbrook for wall 2.0 question mark question mark question mark um ridiculous that it was wall and picks going to houston uh for westbrook and now it'll be Westbrook and picks going to Houston for wall. So somehow Houston getting the sweet end of the picks agreement on both sides here, if it ends up happening. Um, but it's a slightly better fit. John Wall's still not like a knockdown shooter. Just kind of crazy that they're already pulling the shoot on this when Westbrook AD and LeBron have only played like 200 minutes total together. Obviously the fit is still not there, but there's been so much publicity surrounding this that it only seems like a matter of time until Westbrook's out the door. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> just a f- those 200 minutes have given like a fundamental convincing that this cannot work. I don't know how much that's a media narrative and how much, definitive but that is the sense you get looking in to this and um even i'm i'm a bit taken aback i thought there would be some hope for this but uh it really does seem like westbrook for wall and giving up some picks for the lakers would be the cleanest best way out um i hadn't heard that till now but on first impression i'd go for it i think yeah, it's it's tough to see. I don't think Wall really moves the needle too much more. You just kind of just got to kind of less hope. bad, less bad. But I think you're better off hoping that Westbrook 
rekindles the magic that he got near the end of his Houston and near the end of his Washington seasons the last two years. Like he's still, we haven't reached that point where he does ramp up, Mm -hmm. but the eventual roadblock is can't win with him in the playoffs. Okay. Best case you ramp him up and he, uh, then just sit him on the bench and we've seen how he takes that come playoff time. Oh my God, the headlines would be amazing, but that's still not good enough, T-Bud. <laughs> All right, well, let's see if this satiates you. Uh, James Hard article coming out. He is injured, perhaps, uh, but the article stating about how he does not enjoy life in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> frustrated with the lack of extracurricular activities so obviously he's not going to the right places, uh, but obviously more conservative lockdowns in, in Brooklyn than there are in Houston. Um, in addition, not happy with the Kyrie Irving situation, and he's only playing half of the games. Um, he's not happy with his weight, but does not do anything to absolve that issue. Oh, that wasn't in the article. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and, and, not impressed with with the way things have been going and he's making his voice heard uh and so the rumor mill starts Harden for Simmons which is what was originally the plan um it would have been Simmons and a bunch of picks but now both of these guys have so tremendously tanked their value that is it just beneficial to both teams to do a one-for-one swap um I don't think Philly would do it but so crazy that Brooklyn's gone in on these three guys and all of a sudden their supporting cast has poof vanished in terms of productivity and Kyrie can only play 50% of the games. KD's hurt and Harden is Harden. So it's, it's just a gong show in Brooklyn. And uh, if you're Philly though, you, you think about moving it just because of the way Embiid's been playing. 14 of the last 17 games, he scored 30 plus points. Uh, some of these box scores, Max, you got to go back and see. It is stupid what he has been doing. And he has really quickly clawed his way to up to second on the MVP rankings now with a couple of injuries. Him and Jokic really the one too, as it was last year. This hardened stuff is some good tea. <laughs> um, yeah, I everything I've read on this, essentially indicates Harden plans on testing the free agency market. He's committed to winning with the Brooklyn Nets this season, but then after that, he's going the free agency route. He might still sign with the Nets, but he's determined to enter day one of free agency uh, with no loyalties set. Philly, the incredibly potentially appealing choice for him because of the Mori connection and because Embiid and Harden, I think actually could be a ridiculously nasty combination. I saw a headline from Kyrie in an interview the other day or week saying uh, like my years around the league seeing Harden, I was always so impressed with how like much of the load and responsibility he carried on his shoulders. I think here in Brooklyn, um, he doesn't have to do that anymore. Obviously, Harden not so happy in Brooklyn. I don't know much about the Philadelphia strip club scene, 
but Embiid at least that kind of player who Harden could be on the court with and feel like a huge amount of the load is off his shoulders uh, that could be a terrifying combo and if I'm the 76ers I don't make that trade because I have a pretty good chance of signing Harden in the offseason and then I still have Ben Simmons as like a trade asset and at that point because you don't try and make Simmons fit with Harden and Bede uh, you just flip him for like whatever kind of role player you need for the type of basketball that you're going to base your team on around those two players uh, so the 76ers by doing absolutely nothing seem to have like all the winds blowing in their favor at this moment after like four five really just months of being kind of the ridicule of the nba on the simmons situation lastly going back to the brooklyn nets i think this team is just ride or die on kevin durant's shoulders harden clearly not the kind of player who can carry a team the way he once did right now Kyrie inconsistent i think the role players they have will be inspired and through this season like have played better with the best playing kd and it's going to be up to him how well he plays for how far this team goes uh, which is really going to be a legacy moment for him because he's the kind of player whose skills and abilities make you want to place him up there with like the all-time like pushing top five type player but if the only rings he ever wins are ones he got by joining an already championship team simultaneously detoothing the one of the biggest rivals to that championship team um i think that a team in this type of sections covered a lot there eh? oh yeah oh yeah plenty covered uh and if you want to talk more tea we got some uh talking hockey here for you where the edmonton oilers have signed Evander Kane. Um, I saw one tweet, the NHL has decided not to find Evander Kane after all. They didn't plan for the Oilers fit punishment enough. I mean, maybe that used to be the case, but if they put him on a line with one of McDavid or Dreisaitl, it's a dream come true. That's why he signed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so cold right now. I don't, I don't blame him, but um yeah there's not too much that we want to talk about on this that hasn't already been said I just think he shouldn't be focused on hockey he is we'll see how that goes it's not like it it, things could get much worse in terms of vibes in Edmonton so maybe two negatives make a positive or just a very much worse negative (laughs) Yeah, we'll follow this with minor interest, kind of, I don't know, like watching two um, kids, like, do stupid things in the playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other news, the Leafs are are staying hot uh, in third in the Atlantic, but seemingly grabbing points every which way that they can. Um, Jack Campbell actually has been on a bit of a, a rougher stretch as of late. Still collecting wins, though. It's tough for him in this one where the Leafs really 
like the ice was tilted 40 to 19 in shots and and the the three kind of opportunities that Jack saw in this game that were high level scoring chances they they managed to beat them uh, tough first one especially but thanks to special teams this uh, wonderfully talented Leafs power play was able to score quite a few goals Marner now has scored three special teams goals in his last three games good on the kid finally getting the monkey off his back and they end up winning in the shootout Campbell with the most Jack Campbell uh, reaction reaction to confrontation ever ever uh, after Raquel flips the puck in the net after Jack stopped them on the final shot and Jack went to say something then just went ah whatever we won <laughs> gotta love soupy uh, and yeah Leafs continue to roll big big game against Detroit on Saturday uh, in order to just hold off those teams kind of nipping at the heels of all the all the strong teams in the Atlantic division. Yeah, it's a really tough division there in this season. And I hope just competing for this playoff time is going to give them another boost to the mentality, that edge they're looking for. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, into baseball banter. Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. That's the end of Baseball Banner. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We uh, had to push things back a day, but still lots to talk about, and there will be lots to talk about on Sunday. Uh, Max, I don't know if you've seen, but Pokemon Arceus came out today, the first ever open-world Pokemon game. Definitely recommend everyone check that one out. Definitely a nostalgic bit of a release and have a friend of mine who logged off at 4 30 today from his work and jumped right on and i haven't heard from him since so i'm hoping there's good things and uh you've got a bit of competition now for next console i should be getting <laughs> maybe not an xbox Ooh. but maybe a nintendo switch but <laughs> i mean my eyes on uh elden ring i don't know if you've heard about this one no no it's a fantasy game coming out that uh george r martin the game of thrones creator like has worked on mm. it's going to be for next gen so i think the graphics are going to be ridiculous the story is going to be insanely deep and it's only going to take half decent gameplay and uh control system to sell it from there yeah yeah but uh i've been playing minecraft and did a podcast really? on focus the uh, yeah on xbox like if you had an Xbox, we could do that together. Weird. Um, and gotten like weirdly good at two K. Uh, um, post that's been gaming for for the past two just post fade. Okay, okay, I gotcha. The post, the shimmies, <laughs> the drop steps, up and unders. Yeah, exactly. Like, the dream on the that, sticks. Uh, right trigger. No, no, with like a Jordan type, okay. like the jump in post fades. Okay, okay, I see you. I see you. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe it's a I'm... maybe it's a Twitch stream in the future. Who knows? Who knows? We'll we'll link up at some point. But for now, it's the pod, and it's whatever fifteen minutes I can snatch here and there playing a little bit of video games to unwind. Growing, learning, evolving, figuring it out as always. Sports Next Door, signing out.